Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Fantastic episode for you today, talking about memory, false memories, all sorts of interesting stuff. Fantastic topic. I'm not sure how much we've explored this topic before on the show, but it's uh, mind-blowing stuff. I think you guys are really going to get a kick out of it. I just wanted to share with you that I've been, I told you last week, or the last couple weeks anyway, I've been in such a good mood lately, and I hope you guys are doing the the same. I need to say this stuff because I can, I'm often very cynical and I, I talk about, very open about my depression and all that stuff. So I should be open about things when I'm feeling good as well. And I've been, you know, there's been a lot of changes in my life lately, but one of the big things I've been more active lately and I have, I'm not even like going crazy or anything with it. I, I would like to be doing more than I am, but I've been rock climbing somewhat consistently again love rock climbing guys oh man check it out find a local rock climbing gym i think it's the best sport in the whole wide world it is so cool especially if uh i mean it's a great way to meet people too but, but for someone who's a little bit introverted um like myself and doesn't always necessarily want to meet people and just wants to do something fun um by themselves or with one other person it's a really cool sport it's it's like for people that always hated team sports like me it's a lot of people like that uh cool folks check that out man it's been helping so much because a lot of these gyms they have like yoga classes and stuff so i've been doing that i was at a gym in uh where was i sacramento yeah sacramento and it had uh, some crossfit class i did crossfit two days in a row I haven't done crossfit in forever man i hate crossfit but i'll tell you what i have been so sore and it's just like i i'm walking around people are asking me like what's wrong with me and stuff when i'm walking but it's i like that i forgot how much i liked that sore feeling it just feels like accomplishment it feels like uh, it, it's it's like uh the opposite of of the negative kind of psychologically painful like embarrassing moments that of my past that will often pop into my head that I ruminate on instead I uh, uh, like my I don't know how to describe it. I guess like physically I kind of reflect on like oh that was a hard thing that I did a couple days ago with this workout and it just makes me feel better about myself like I'm moving in the right direction and so i like that uh sore feeling and boy if you (laughs) if you want to feel sore um crossfit is a way to do it i've been thinking about checking out some other stuff i've heard good things about this orange theory stuff lately i don't know i i hope you guys get out there you know it's the time of year when when uh, the weather's nicer and depending on where you are and and uh so so i hope you get a little there's something about getting movement and activity in the light even though i still have a lot of the same exact problems some of them even worse than they were even a month ago or whatever there's some better things too but uh the, the a lot of the same problems they're just not stressing me out as much i'm just optimistic i feel like i can take on the world i'm excited about recording this podcast about stand-up science I, I'm, I'm just 
uh, oh man, it feels so good to be happy. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to last. These, uh, I, I mean, I'm always, whenever I feel like this, I'm like, well, maybe this is the time when I'm going to feel like this forever. I figured it out now. Uh, who knows how long this is going to last, but man, I'm feeling great right now. And it's not always the case that I'm, I get to share with you guys uh, how how good I'm feeling. So thought I'd do that. Also, wanted to give you an update. Psychonautics, a comics exploration of psychedelics, the documentary. It's still, just so you know how this works, it's still, so the, the industry's been really risk averse with putting it out there. Anything kind of drug positive, even though there's a natural disclaimer built within the film with me having some mental health issues, but it's still a, a drug positive film and there's a natural aversion to that. And so it's kind of a self-released thing for the most part, but, um, but this is like this first window and it's for rent and purchase and everything on iTunes and Amazon and all that. And the thing is, if like a million people were, were renting it and watching it and every, it would already, there would be, uh, you know, bigger services fighting over, uh, giving us a, a huge deal with this thing right now. So it's not, it's not too late to, if we get, um, big numbers for this in this, in this kind of self-release period, there's still possibilities for, um, some bigger platforms for it in the future. I, I don't, at this point, you know, don't have my hopes up a ton for, uh, I just don't get my hopes up anymore for the psychedelic advocacy stuff. It's coming along, but, um, I think I, I'm a few years too early on some of the stuff. So, so who knows, but I was really happy with it. And if you haven't seen it yet, check it out. If you haven't reviewed it yet, please do that for me. That'd be terrific. Also, before we start, if you're looking for some uh, audiobooks like Robert Sapolsky's Behave, I just started listening to on audiobook. Uh, I'm uh, still just finishing um, Enlightenment Now by Steven Pinker, uh, which maybe that might be influencing why I'm been feeling a little more positive. It's a it's a very um, measured look at at feeling optimistic about um, about things, and. Uh, you can go to Libro.fm, and that's a way of getting audiobooks that also support your local bookstore and their new partner of the show. You get three months for the price of one with the offer code. Here we are. And this is a very special, different kind of arrangement than the usual ads that you're going to hear in, say, the middle of the show, where this is like a partnership. I'm working with them, working with these uh, bookstores potentially to put together uh, stand-up science shows and lots of stuff like that. So please check out all of that stuff and enjoy today's terrific episode. This is one of my favorite ones in a while. So enjoy. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I'm in Charleston, a lovely place. It's my second time 
in Charleston. First time doing uh, Here We Are podcast in Charleston. I have professor of psychology at the College of Charleston. Gabby Principe is joining me today. Gabby, welcome. Thank you, Shane. This is such a wonderful, I've been, uh, I mean, the, by the time the listeners are are hearing this, probably warm weather is old news to them. This is coming two <laughs> months from now, but this is early March. I've been traveling. I, I spent January in the Midwest for mm-hmm. some reason. Real poor planning on my part, and then I, I was just up in the in the northeast and dealing with snow and stuff. That I can't. I'm from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I've always hated winters, and uh, and then traveling south. I've been doing. I've been coming through the Virginia and the Carolinas, and I was like, yes, I'm gonna get warm weather, and it hasn't been that great. And then I showed up in Charleston, and finally, I'm in. I'm in a good mood. I'm a little under the weather. In case listeners are, I have a little bit of a uh, runny nose in case listeners, if you're a first time listener and you're like, I don't like this guy's voice. Well, don't judge me on this episode. Um, I'm probably just being in my head. I used to be a real carefree individual. And then I, I put myself in the spotlight a little bit, started recording myself, getting on stage makes you very self-conscious. And now I overanalyze every little thing, but I'm so happy to have you on the show because you were on stand up science last night. I already know this is going to be a good episode because you were such a fantastic guest. It was such a good, what a great show. Five o'clock show and it was, Mm -hmm. we rocked it. You killed it. It was super fun. Yeah. Yeah. All around. And that was so much fun. And you, you talk about, um, you, you do a lot of developmental psychology as right. I'm talking about you. I used to be carefree and now I, <laughs> uh, life has worn me down. There's been injuries and credit card <laughs> debt and bad shows and, and, and once hopeful things falling through I mean, and, and, and kids don't have this, uh, this quite as much. They really don't. <laughs> Necessary. <laughs> Necessary. Yeah, childhood is good. I always, I don't, I don't know. I go back and forth because I, I have very strong memories of my childhood. I always wanted to be an adult. I don't know if it's just a life grass is always greener thing, right? Um, but I still, I still remember childhood being pretty confusing and <laughs> a lot of lack of freedom and it not being. <laughs> Uh, like I think I like being an adult, but sometimes I see like a kid like really enjoying themselves and living this carefree existence. I'm like, that seems nice. But maybe know. you're doing some of that kid stuff now, right? You're telling jokes. That's yeah, what maybe yeah, you flipped telling, around your developmental stuff. I'm an immature person. Yeah, yeah, and I, it's good. Yeah, I get out there. I'm I'm probably I'm probably as active, which isn't super active, but I'm I'm as active in my adult life as I. Say I wasn't a child. I remember my parents like dragging me along to to go camping when I was a kid. And I was like, I hate this. I want to be with my friends. I'm like in a tent with my family. It was just the worst. And uh, and now, oh man, if I go out camping, oh yeah, that's a real great time. Yeah. Um, life it changes. Development over a lifespan. So, what uh, what what area of work do you focus on? So I focus on autobiographical memory in young children, and I'm particularly interested in factors that can modify memories over time. 
Um, and that can also maintain memories um, over time. Um, this is one of the most wonderfully mind-blowing subjects people last night when you were talking <laughs> yeah. about it were absolutely blown away i'm sure i'm sure you have a easier time at the cocktail parties when people ask you what you do people must be a lot more interested than when like someone studies zebra fish or something like that you may, <laughs> I, I bet you're a hit um so so fill people in on on some of your work with early childhood memories and and mostly uh, you, you, uh, a lot of your work that really stands out is about false memories. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's mainly, mainly what I'm interested in, but it's, you know, it's sort of the dark side of memory. So yeah, people are super interested in it at cocktail parties, but there's so much history, you know, dark history, dark stories about false, um, false memories. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned last night, some of the, um, yeah, share it with the with with the listeners. I'm not sure that we've ever talked about this on the podcast yeah, before. I mean, we may or may not have. Okay, we get um, a lot of li- new listeners all the time. So yeah, start start from scratch because this is this is gonna blow people away. Okay, so a little bit of my developmental history and maybe how I got interested in all of this to begin with. So, um, when I started graduate school, my advisor, my PhD advisor, um was an expert in children's memory. He had been doing this, you know, for decades and was the the guy. Um, but he got involved in some in a case where there was a young child, a preschool age child making allegations of sexual abuse. And lawyers were in contact with him asking him, what does the field of memory, memory research, what can that tell us about whether or not this particular child might be telling the truth? How can we diagnose the extent to which she is being, you know, telling an accurate story? And at that point, this was the early 90s, he had to give the answer that, you know, after 100 years or so of research on memory and memory development, there really wasn't anything there that can help us understand the extent to which this child or any child is truthfully, you know, giving an autobiographical memory of something that had happened in the past. Yeah, it's not yeah. necessarily that they're lying. Right. It's that they don't remember things correctly. Right, exactly. Or, right, yeah, and, yeah. And not not even in a just like slightly inaccurate way, like there's actual false memories right. that are formed. Right, and there's two ways, you know, multiple ways to make false reports. One is it can be deliberate. You're lying. You know, you're telling a story to get something or get somewhere. And the other is what you're referring to. It could be, you know. Let me tell you about... <laughs> Some time I spent with Matt Damon. Um, I <laughs> we right. were out on a yacht. It was it was like, and I know what it's like to be starstruck too. Because when Matt Damon saw me, he was like Shane Moss. Oh my god, I can't believe was. I'm yeah. I can't believe I'm meeting you. So <laughs> right, totally. Uh, and and uh, but we we had a great time. My memory of it, and we saw dolphins. Right. It was uh, he taught me a little bit about acting and. Uh, <laughs> And we we swapped some trade secrets. It was it was great. I believe you. That happened. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes people lie uh, <laughs> about memories, but other times they just have uh, they just have false memories, right? Memories that they themselves actually believe, right? Yeah. yeah. So so how how is that happening? 
Um, it's how memory works. So one of the ways to think about why that happens is to think about what memory maybe is for, why humans have it in the first place. Um, you know, I don't think evolution gave us memory so that we can go in a courtroom and tell a completely accurate story. That's not what it's for. You know, if you think about situations where you use memory, like you just told me that story, you know, <laughs> you do it to be funny. You do it to build social bonds, was, right? Or to impress people. Or to impress people, <laughs> which that totally worked. <laughs> Maybe we can talk about Matt Damon later on. <laughs> or, you know, you need autobiographical memories to develop your identity, yeah. right? And sometimes if you're having identity you know, an identity crisis issues, your memory can help change how you feel um, about yourself. Um, autobiographical memories help you plan for the future, too. So, you know, memory wasn't built to be completely accurate. So the fact that we develop false memories of things makes sense if you think about what memory is probably for and how it's probably used in everyday life, right? Mm. Yeah, it, it's what's interesting to me, because I think a lot of people have had the experience where they were with a group of people, something happens to them, or they tell people the mm -hmm. story of something like some interesting story. I, I, I remember I was once hammer drunk on new year's eve i was a, i was a young man and for some reason i like pulled this christmas tree out of <laughs> out of out of someone's trash and was like dragging it down an alleyway very and festive like, of you oh yeah <laughs> and then like a police pulled up behind me and i ran and it was like this whole ordeal and um and some people i remember specifically someone like said that they saw this happened and they had like details about what had happened like this is sometime after the fact like a month after it happened they had details of like watching me from this second story building do this or whatever right and there was details of it that that didn't things that did not happen right and they're they're very like embellished and made the story which you didn't need to embellish that story <laughs> like yeah, it was it, it was them. fine <laughs> Uh, the way that it was. But I think most people have had this experience. You share this story and then you hear it played back to you, right. retold back to you through someone else. And it's it's been altered in some usually in uh, in some ways, like a grandiose way, if they're trying to like build you up or or just make this story more interesting. Or if people were like upset about a certain thing, then then they they make up aspects of of what happened that didn't actually occur sure right like if you're telling a story about you know yourself to your parents and you're a college student you're gonna edit out maybe some pieces of your behavior of what happened on saturday night that's totally normal to do or if you're trying to impress someone you as you're saying you know you might sprinkle in a little bit of extra and the more and more you tell that story maybe you start to forget that extra that you put in there purposefully might then later be remembered as to you as something that actually happened. So, yeah. So how do you study something like this? How, how do you, how do you study whether a memory is implanted or not? Or how do you go about implanting a memory in a uh, unexpecting child's <laughs> right. mind? So, so the work that I do is mainly with younger kids. So preschool age kids, three to six, your old children. And one of the ways that we go about doing it is we stage 
events for them. So we put on events like a magic, we've put on magic shows, we've put on um, archaeologic digs. And so we know exactly what is going on, what happened to everyone. Um, so uh, in one of our lines of work, the way that we um, begin to create false memories, I mean, and when we first started this work, we didn't, we actually didn't think it would would work. So I became interested. Well, there's a lot of forensic cases where it seems as if um, there's rumors that get spread about maybe people involved. That's, a, you know, she's a really bad person or she did this thing. Or um, in some of the early child abuse cases, mass abuse cases in like preschools and daycares or something like that, parents will be told something like, you know, Miss So-and-so is a bad person. She may have done these things to kids. Maybe ask your child about whether or not this happened. So that's the sort of stuff we wanted to study. And we thought, um, let's see what happens if we go into children's classrooms, stage an event, and spread a little rumor to some kids about what might have happened. So in some of our studies, we go in and we stage uh, an otherwise, you know, fun age-appropriate magic show for kids. But then at the end of the magic show, our magician, who we call Magic Mumphrey, um, tries to pull a rabbit out of his hat. Um, but after several frenzied and unsuccessful efforts, um, he fails. He apologizes to the children and he leaves the building. So the kids are, you know, what's going on? And so for some, in some of that work, what we'll do is have some of the children overhear a rumor where one of my students will tell one of the children's teachers, you know, what really happened is that, um, <laughs> what really happened is that the rabbit um, wasn't residing in the hat, the rabbit's running around loose in the school. And what we found is that simple, innocuous rumor given to some kids in a classroom um, can lead nearly all of the children in a classroom to tell us a week later that there absolutely was a rabbit. Um, and they say not only was there a rabbit, that they saw him with their own eyes. They heard the rabbit, and they give these compelling details about where the rabbit was, what color it was, where they found it. None of that is true at all. And all we had to do was just say, there's a loose rabbit. Um, so that says a lot about how just a little inkling of something can, you know, blossom a false memory in a group of kids. It's memory is such a fascinating thing because intuitively what I would think memory is, is this kind of DVR recording <laughs> of life and of events. And somewhere in my brain, this perfectly accurate recording is stored and when I want to access that memory my brain just rewinds to that section and then presses play and then I get this conscious kind of uh, scene of right. exactly what had happened and that's not at all how memory is working right nope. I mean is is memory I mean it's it's almost like we're thinking about it all wrong or uh, is it is it is memory just kind of this um, conscious like th this new story that is arising in your consciousness that's being put together in the moment that it, it's not it's kind of just like this reassembling of past ideas or facts or something and it's playing some um, something in the present moment that that probably never actually occurred. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, to some extent. So you're rebuilding it every time you're remembering it. You're putting it together. And if you think about it this way, every time you're re-remembering something, you have new knowledge, new beliefs, new expectations, new experiences that can get intermingled into that. So we're not recalling, you know, when we experience something, we don't build these images, these copy images of what happened, and we don't store them in a pristine way, and then we can recall them. Exactly. Every time we re-recall a memory, we're reconstructing it and rebuilding it. And we're usually doing it with other people, right? So we think of memory often as being this individual phenomena, this thing that exists in our heads, and we can pull it out, and we can give it to someone. But it's not like that at all. When you're in a social situation, there's all these social factors that are going on too, not only like, you know, I want to impress this person, so maybe my head's going to make me exaggerate. Um, But it's also when you re-recall experiences with people, often other people are helping you get it out, what happened next, who was there, and they might slightly suggest something, and that might change the way you tell your story. And then the next time you tell it, it, you know, it's changed again. So memory is, you know, it's in there, it's cognitive, but it's such a social phenomenon too, and I think we forget that too often when we think about memory and how it works and what it's for. I mean, selective memory seems like something that makes all sorts of sense to me um, from from like an intuitive way of thinking about memory, like, like in right. a kind of recording way where, where I go in, you're my boss, I go in for a raise or whatever at the end of the year and we have a discussion about it. Right. And my kind of selective memory remembers these good things good things that I actually did yeah but good things that I that I did and focuses on that and you as the boss my, that maybe doesn't want to give me as much of a raise <laughs> right. is kind of focusing on some of these negative things or, or these these times I was late to work or whatever things that actually happened and right. they're just kind of selectively choosing which ones to uh, to to tell the story in the way that benefits you but what what this false memory stuff is doing is much different than that. It, it's actually kind of creating a, a complete fiction, something that didn't actually happen. And it's it's compelling to me that memory can even do that. Well, I mean, one of the things we have to do if you're figuring out, trying to figure out for yourself whether or not a memory happened is you have to have that you have to know where that memory came from. Like, So you have memories of lots of things that are not memories of experience. So you have memories of what someone told you. You have memories of things you read, things you saw on TV. You have memories of dreams. So one of the tasks that we have to do when we a memory happens or we're in a situation where we're trying to call a memory, we have to do a little source monitoring process and figure out, was that something I heard, I dreamt, or I imagined? And, you know, we're all right at that as adults. We have to be, because if we weren't, we couldn't function in the world at all. <laughs> but, you know, for, for younger kids, that process is still developing, and it's tough to figure out, was that something I imagined? Did I experience it? And one of the ways that we do that, it's sort of an on-the-fly process, is that if a memory has certain things, like perceptual details, like if we can recall sounds or smells, it makes us feel like we were there. Or if we have temporal stuff, like remember what happened first or next. Those sorts of details, when they're in a memory, make us think, okay, that's a memory I experienced, I I did it, I saw it, rather than that's a memory of something I imagined or something I I dreamt about. Hmm. 
So some of this is just the mind still sorting out the difference between what is your imagination and and what is what is not. Uh, is that yeah. is that playing a little bit of a factor? I think that's fine. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. So would you say that adults have less false memories? Because I, I know I know adults can still are still susceptible to this, but is, is this something that um, that develops over a lifespan where you're able to better discern the accuracy of your own memories or <laughs> or does it never get that good? Well, I mean, I think that's a hard question. I mean, if you think about the things that develop over time, so you would think that adults are less prone to developing false memories. But I mean, it depends on what's happening, you know, the conditions under which one is being asked to recall something. I mean, so let me give you one example from our work. So um, in the early childhood literature, people tend to think that older kids, five, six-year-olds, are less prone to give false memories than younger kids, like three and four-year-olds. But it's easy to kind of flip that around and do the opposite. So in some of our work, um, like I just described with that study where we go into kids' schools and put on a magic show. The magician tries to pull a rabbit out of his hat, but there is no rabbit. Instead of spreading a rumor, in one of our studies, we left cues about what may have happened to that rabbit. So we didn't tell kids that there was a loose rabbit. Instead, we just left. We I had my students chew on carrots, and they left chewed up carrots all over the classroom. And what we found is that the older kids, the five- and six-year-olds, because they're good at making, because they're better at making causal inferences than the younger kids, put together that, well, what must have happened to that rabbit is he's running around loose in the classroom eating carrots because those carrots must be associated with this rabbit. So the older kids were more likely to rumor monger and then tell us later on that, yeah, there really was a rabbit. He was eating carrots. I saw him. Then the younger kids, hmm. right? But that's just because we engineered a situation where the older kids were more likely to use uh, their ability to make causal inferences, right? So, so to answer your question, you know, you can engineer any a situation where older folks are more likely to uh, be prone to a false memory than hmm. than younger kids. Fascinating. So, I, I I've talked um, some on the podcast before about about self-deception uh, and some of the kind of evolutionary underpinnings of self-deception and how um, many of us, the, the average person thinks they're, you know, better than, uh, or, or 70% of the population thinks they're better <laughs> than the, the right. average on driving, on intellect, on a myriad of skills. You can pretty much ask anyone about their skill level on any facet of life and they'll say that they're better than average and uh even even attractiveness even even picking picking their own face they'll pick a slightly more attractive version of their own face when trying to and what i'm wondering is how how much of our brain on a on a non-conscious level has the actual truth of the matter uh, like is is there does does the truth of that experience um exist in a child's mind and is is the brain just feeding consciousness this this made up story or 
or are there not like two different versions? Is there, you know what I'm asking? Is is there is there the actual accurate account that exists that just isn't being fed into the conscious awareness, but could somehow be teased out of there? Um, and and then a second story, because how how does the brain know to figure out what to embellish if it doesn't have kind of an accurate picture of reality in the first place? How can it needs to have something to it needs to have a foundation to embellish in the first place? Do you you know what I'm trying to ask, or is it too confusing? I think that's a little confusing, but it's okay. a super big question. Are you asking like, is there a representation of what yes. really happened there, and yeah. then like a second? So I mean, that's a that's a a big question in false memory research. What happens? So if I give you a suggestion that's different from reality, what does that do? Does it change the memory that's already in there? Um, or do the two coexist? And honestly, I I don't think we know the answer to that. We try to get at that in some of our work where um, we'll either tell kids, tell us a fun story about what happened or tell us a truthful story about what happened. Or sometimes we'll warn kids. So in our rumor work, we'll say, you know that rumor that you heard about the false rabbit, about the loose rabbit, that's totally false. We lied to you. That is not true. Do not even say anything about that. And for older kids, some of them that will work so they can go back and not tell as fantastic of a story. But for the younger kids, man, it does nothing at all. <laughs> what whatsoever. Um, and we do the same thing. Um, too. In some of our work, we look at um, how beliefs in fantastic things like the tooth fairy or leprechauns can influence the extent to which kids are remembering, say, what happened when they lost their last tooth. And if we do that same manipulation, um, tell us a true story, tell us a fun story with kids who truly have these fantastic beliefs, um, it doesn't change their fantastic recall about what happened, say, when they lost their last tooth. But if they don't have full-blown beliefs, say, in the tooth fairy, and we say tell a truthful story, they can modify their version, but not all the way. So, um, you know, there seems to be things that you can, that a conversational partner could do to some extent under some conditions to maybe make the memory more accurate. But your question, is there like an accurate, pristine thing? No way. I don't think anyone yeah. who studies memory would think that. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, even even in your example of saying, okay, that was a rumor, the rabbit didn't happen. Right. It was it wasn't necessarily that um that they reverted back to an accurate picture of what happened. It's just they had new information that then once right. again, alters their right. their and, memory back to <laughs> right. a back to a more realistic. Then you're like, oh yeah, I guess I just saw some mushed carrot on the ground, or whatever. yeah, or they don't remember anything at all, and they're just reporting what we said. You <laughs> know, there was no loose rabbit. So when we asked them what happened, there was no loose yeah. rabbit. So it's hard to know. Um, share. You brought up the tooth fairy. Will yeah. you share that adorable example that, uh, <laughs> that you used yesterday? I have it pulled up here. If you if you don't remember, and you yeah, want to, yeah, absolutely. If you want to read it, I just thought listeners would get a <laughs> kick out of it. This is one of my favorite study participants ever. So in this um, 
particular study, we just simply asked five and six-year-olds to tell us what happened when they lost their last baby tooth. So this wasn't that much of a memory task for kids, because if you're five, you've lost your last baby tooth not that, um, you know, not that long ago. What we did is we developed uh, a measure where we could assess the extent to which children believed in the tooth fairy. And so we found some kids um, completely disbelieve in the tooth fairy. Some kids have wavering beliefs. When we asked those kids what happened when you lost your last tooth, they stick to a pretty mundane story and they tell us, you know, here's how my tooth fell out. I stuck it under a pillow and then I got a prize. But when we look at the subset of kids who are full-blown believers in the tooth fairy, they give us all of these fantastic stories about how they saw the tooth fairy, they heard her, all of these things. Um, and so um, the report that you're talking about, we have this kid who when we ask her what happened when the tooth fairy visited, she talks about how her cat, Fluffy, ate the tooth fairy. And when we further query her about how does she know that that happened, she tells us she was an eyewitness. She saw Fluffy do it with, with her own eyes. And then she gives us corroborating evidence. She tells us, I know that this happened because I saw fairy dust on my cat, in my cat's mouth and on the paws. And, you know, as you know, all only real fairies have fairy dust. So clearly that's what happened. But um, this is a fantastic story, but it's also to some extent accurate-ish. So I say that because in this study, we were smart enough to also ask parents um, about their memory for what happened when their child lost their last tooth. And what we learned is that a lot of parents leave evidence in support of the tooth fairy. So some parents would write a note or leave a window open. And in this particular example, the mother for all of her children would take gold glitter and leave gold glitter in the children's bedrooms and say, um, you know, that's from the tooth fairy, clearly. You know, when she exchanged the tooth, she left that there. So for this child, uh, what we found out that happened is um, the mother put the gold glitter in the, in the child's bedroom, but what she forgot to do is she forgot to take the tooth from under the pillow and put the prize in there. So this poor child wakes up in the morning expecting there to be a prize under her pillow, and there's not. Her tooth is still there. However, she sees the fairy dust, which means the tooth fairy must have visited, looks at her cat, and there's this glitter all over the cat's mouth and hands. So she comes to a conclusion that, you know, what happened is that the tooth fairy must have been eaten by the cat, which is logical. That makes complete sense yeah. of her, you know, based on her beliefs. But for me as a memory researcher, what's interesting is that line where she says she saw it. She saw her cat do it, which is very different from saying, I, my cat must have done it because I believe in the tooth fairy and, you know. Right. Right? So, but she has this memory of that. And in this study and in all of our studies and in our interviews, we tell kids, tell us only what you remember seeing with your own eyes. Don't guess. Don't make anything up. And when kids give us this sort of stuff, you know, I saw my cat eat the tooth fairy We'll ask them, you know, did you see that with your own eyes or do you just think that that happened? So we try to push back and say, you know, are you sure? Did you see it? And that pushback that we have makes us really think when we get these sorts of stories or memories from kids that they truly believe it, that they're not just fabricating. They're not making it up, that they really, truly believe it. Hmm. I, I mean, 
in that particular case, it just seems like the mind's just doing this detective work and trying to construct the story. And I often, you right. know, like I, I can often see in my mind's eye like a, a constructed story of evolution or something like that that, right. that I, I'm, I'm trying to picture and kind of imagine to conceptualize what happened. And then it just seems like once that's happened, then, uh, like you said, collaborating evidence, it's like the brain just goes like, okay, that's what happened now. Right. Now, you then you tell yourself this story of like, also to reinforce that you actually saw that with your own eyes. Right. And, you know, we have some evidence that suggests that's exactly what, what's going on. So in lots of our work, where we have kids saying that they saw things with their own eyes, things that aren't true. So things that we've, you know, either suggested or spread a rumor about or that's like this in line with their fantasies. When they say, you know, I saw it with my own eyes, I didn't hear it from someone, I saw it with my own eyes, they give us the most elaborate narratives about what happened. So they're giving us the most details and the most like perceptual and contextual details. So we think what's happening is the regular source monitoring process that we use to figure out, did that happen? Did I dream it? Did I imagine it? What's going on maybe in our work is we're creating, particularly in our rumor studies, we're creating um, these false memories that lead kids to have these really detailed ideas of what might have happened, but their representation is so detailed that their usual source monitoring process that they use, oh, there's a lot of details, that must have happened, is working just fine, but it's that our rumors have created a situation where they have these representations with a lot of details and then just misattribute that representation mm. to something that really happened. You know, And I should say the way that those, we know that our rumors in and of themselves don't create that level of detail. So if we go into children's classrooms, spread a false rumor after this failed hat trick and say the reason that the rabbit didn't come out is because Mumphrey's rabbit was loose in the school. And we don't let children interact with each other. We just spread the rumor and let them do their own thing. There's not that many false memories in that case. What creates false memories in our situation is that we let our children hang out with each other. So we spread the false rumor um, and they spend some time together um, and they do a lot of rumor mongering after that, a lot of talk that's stimulated by um, by a rumor. And we know this because in some of our work, we've mic'd up kids after we've spread the rumor. So we tell some kids, you know, the reason the trick didn't work is because the rabbit is running around loose in the classroom. And we have classrooms of kids who are wearing little audio recorders with microphones um, on their shirt. And after we spread this rumor, we can hear what they do. And they spin all sorts of tales, usually. So we'll have a child who will see a stuffed animal in the toy box and say, oh my gosh, that's it. The rabbit's right there. Everybody runs over to the toy box. Another child sees um, like a white plastic bag floating around in the wind by a playset outside. That child says, oh my gosh, the rabbit's out here. It's out here running around in the playground and the kids go over to the window. And what we find is those very details that, you know, are being played around with right after we spread the rumor um, a lot of those details are the very same things that are showing up in children's reports later mm. on, a week later, four weeks later, when we say, hey, what happened that day that the magician came to your classroom? Mm. Right? So it's socialish. You know, it's a social thing that's happening to there. Oh, is there also details added just 
in time alone, like uh, uh, I have a story happen. I go isolate myself for a week or whatever, read books, whatever. Don't don't talk with anybody. Um, would I? Would you predict that I would add details to to a story uh, independent of social interactions as well? To kind of reinforce the story, it seems like that happens. Yeah, I, mean, like, I feel like I've caught myself <laughs> in lies right. before. Like, wait sure. a second, that's not <laughs> how that story would. Well, there's no reason it wouldn't happen. I mean, if you're ruminating on it, every time you ruminate, you're re-remembering it and you're adding new stuff in there. So, yeah, I mean, you can. That's auto-suggestibility. You can totally do it to yourself if you're just hanging out thinking about something. You're, you know, re-remembering it and changing it each time you re remember it so each time i don't know maybe each time you re-remember something you're putting yourself at risk for remembering it a little bit differently later on and it seems like uh i mean adults have some pretty fantastical beliefs out there sometimes i mean there's uh you know my uncle phil who was probed by aliens and and all that's (laughs) you know there's there's a lot of uh I've I've heard I don't actually have an uncle Phil, but um, <laughs> are you but, sure? But I've uh, oh no, not anymore. I, I'm not. No, I think your mother told uh, me you have an uncle Phil. <laughs> I do have an yeah, uncle Phil. He's yeah. great. He has brown hair, right? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> brown, wonderful yeah. hair. He's just a little the curly. Be- yeah, the best uncle that you could yeah. ever have. A little, a little curly. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how you're nailing it like this. Uh, <laughs> but that's uh, that. That is, I, I've heard actual, you know, p- people that I respect tell me, like alien stories. Are like, I'm telling you, I saw this thing. The whole, I remember one in particular. Like everyone in my school saw this UFO. We were all talking about it. It's like, well, that's part of the problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But uh, it, but it, it's not even because uh, because it it does seem like. A lot of these uh, alien stories come from like, uh, you know, the, the out in the middle of nowhere or whatever. <laughs> but it's not just rednecks susceptible. The, even even the president of the United States <laughs> seems to have a few false memories in yeah. there. Our great yes. leader. The leader of the, the free world. It can happen. The <laughs> pinnacle of human potential. <laughs> <laughs> our great and mighty leader you can show him mm-hmm. a video mm-hmm. and go like here is what you said here is a video of you saying this and even our seemingly perfect leader yeah. goes nope i didn't say that that's not what happened here's what actually happened it's incredible and I actually, unlike unlike some people right. that, that think he he is just completely consciously lying, I actually think that he believes a good majority of of the outrageous things um, that he's saying and making up. Even, even when he's even when he's completely changing a story on a day to day level, I think that. I think that he might actually believe that that's what happened, which is troubling. It is troubling, (laughs) but it's really cool because that's probably exactly how memory works. And it's cool. So, I mean, you're saying suggestibility proneness is not correlated with leadership opportunities. I'm I'm just saying that everyone's susceptible to this this stuff. It's independent of a you you study children. Right. But but there's a lot of adults. uh,
at the beginning of the podcast, you kind of hinted at some of this stuff, but there was early on in this work, there was a lot of evidence that people were going into therapy right? and kind of being, I don't want to use the word coaxed, having kind of like as a therapist was like kind of digging like, hey, all of childhood. A lot of times these are like these repressed childhood memories that are causing you a lot of issues. And are you sure there's not a thing? And kind of right. prodding people a little bit right. until until adults were eventually. So there, there were these issues with people coming out in therapy and all of a sudden people were creating these memories of having suffered this and that childhood abuse stuff that that later on which what's discouraging is there's all sorts of people that have suffered those issues and and right. you, you know and, right. and and there's there are legitimate victims out there and everything else but, right. but then there there were these cases where it was proven that that uh, none of this stuff happened and these were completely false memories that were created right and you know that's one of the things to think about is the purpose of therapy is not necessarily to create a situation where completely false but where completely true memories are being recalled that's not the purpose of it you don't go into therapy because i want to remember the past exactly right you know the purpose of therapy um you know, is is to work through things, to 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 heal, and so in those cases, what we've you know what we've learned is that some of the techniques that therapists use are exactly the sorts of techniques that an interviewer can use to create false memories. So, one example is just imagining something. So, I'm closing my eyes. Yeah, right. So, Steve, I, I'm still I'm working with a blank slate right now. You got to give me something <laughs> right, to imagine. Right. So here's so here's a cool. This is one of my favorite studies ever. So Steve Cece at Cornell has this um, study where he brought kids into his lab and he just asked them to imagine events that didn't happen over a series of 10 weeks. So he took um, kids and he just said, you know, think about that time when you got your finger caught in a mousetrap. Just think about it. And he did that, you know, 10 weeks over the course of 10 weeks. And then at the end of that, when he asked kids, did that ever happen to you? He had kids telling these full-blown memories about what happened when they got their finger caught in a mousetrap, how the whole family went to the ER, you know, to get that taken care of. So we know from that sort of work that just imagining something can lead to false memories, which is a technique that one, you know, very innocently might use in therapy. Think about what that might feel like if that happened. Um, that, but now we know that can lead to absolutely compelling, complete memories of things that didn't happen, but that feel just as real as memories of things that did happen. Hmm. Um, and in, in that mousetrap study that I just told you about, um, that kid was actually on uh, some news magazine show, ABC 2020 or something like that, um, the one that John Stossel is on. And John Stossel said to this kid, that didn't happen. You were part of an experiment, right? That didn't really happen. And this kid is telling John Stossel, no, I know that really happened. It did. Mm -hmm. So even, you know, pushing back like that once a memory is formed doesn't do anything because hmm. it's, it's as real as a real experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, I, I was, uh, never mind. I'm. I'm going to. I'm. I'm going to. I was going to say. 
Uh, uh, well, whatever. Oh, now the cat's should. out of the bag. No, now I, you need to say. Now I have to you say. You have to. Well, I was going to say I have a lot of experience with this. I, I had a religious upbringing, and, and there's uh, it's it's uh, pretty interesting the amount of pushback you you get once once those beliefs are formed it there is pretty much nothing that you can say to talk something out of uh out of someone's belief system it's uh it's pretty amazing yeah um so uh first off i two things one how do i trick my listeners into having fonder memories of this podcast than what actually happened like we've mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want i want i want people we've, we've had like 207 episodes you know that it, it's a it's a range yeah, in there they're sure. not uh, it, it hasn't been 207 home runs yeah but that's what i want them to remember i think it I want has them to been spread. 207 uh, of course home it runs, has right? i'd say close your it, eyes imagine. and think about all <laughs> yeah. the great podcasts yeah. that we've had I mean, doesn't that just make you want to run out and spread the word about this podcast? I think that's what everyone's going to do. Tell all their friends it's the best. Patreon, (laughs) come and see stand up science. Yeah. I can imagine them doing it. I'm sure they can imagine themselves doing this. If they think several times over the next couple of weeks, (laughs) maybe maybe have a group discussion with their friends about. Yeah, talk with their friends about all the awesome podcasts. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, memory is so insane. Like every time I learn something about memory, it's just such a it, the overwhelming amount of complexity. I mean, I, I suppose I could say this about any field and any of science, sure. Yeah. But it's just how in the world are memories formed in the first place, and all of the different factors that go into that, and then recalling memories and and things that happen with. Uh, things like Alzheimer's and things that go right. on later on right. in life. It's just so endlessly. Fa- but that that is even actually now that I'm bringing it up, yeah. I, I was actually going to because I want to talk about your book. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, when I was talking about having kind of the accurate representation, there is with Alzheimer's patients, it seems like you can kind of things that they normally can't remember. This is a little different than having like yeah. an accurate version and an embellished version, but things that they have difficulty remembering, you can prime people mm-hmm. into remembering things. So there's definitely a difference between what is stored in our in our unconscious worlds right. and what is being fed into the conscious uh, 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 what is arising on the conscious right, level, right? Right, right, right. Um, so I, I guess that's all that I'm going to say about <laughs> that. I don't really have a question. No, but about it's that. it's fascinating. Just given all of the avenues for f- false memories, false ideas, the fact that we even like Remember function. Anything. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. One of my uh, colleagues here at the college, you know, we we do research on memory together, and at least every meeting, three or four times. <laughs> one of us will say, I think this happened, but it might be a false memory. It's terrible. It's terrible studying false memory for, you know, 20 some years. I don't believe anything I say or that anyone says to me. No, I do. But, you know, yeah. it's just amazing that given all of the avenues for messing up that we manage to be all right. Let me ask you this. And, and guests are always uh, welcome to take a hard pass on something. If yeah. this is outside of your research, you don't know a thing about it. Yeah. 
other species are how are other species doing with memory i i had i had someone on uh on uh, I, I mean are they are they able to recall things as as far are they is, is there any way of uh, there's not, probably not probably not an easy thing to test granted i, I bring this up because as we we're talking about all this and i'm thinking about yeah. How incredible the human memory is. We just had on uh, a speaker recently who was showing this task where you have a screen and there's like w- the numbers one through 10 spread on the screen and you have to hit them in order. And once you hit the one, it the, all the numbers turn into blocks. Okay. And then you have to remember where all of the other numbers were okay. and hit them in, in order one through 10. And and if I showed you the videos of this, you'd be blown away because uh, you can take like a very there's videos of a br- very you know bright human neuroscientist or whatever trying to complete this task <laughs> and doing okay on yeah, it. Yeah. And then you you give it to a chimp and they're just like they just nail it just yeah. effortlessly without yeah. without trying at all. And I don't know how much of that is memory or whatever. There there must be some. It, I, I'm just wondering if if uh, if 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 this embellishing of of things and the and this false memories of, of things, I wonder if that's something that is really just in the in the human domain, or if this is something like birds are doing too, embellishing like their their ability to do this and that. Anyway, you don't. Have I don't to know, but I totally know what my dog and I are doing this afternoon. Now. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're yeah. doing some memory. Yeah, tests. we totally are. But I mean, so I mean, the the way that I can think about answering it is we're talking about autobiographical memory in the work, you know, what we've been talking about. So memory for experiences, like we're not talking about false procedural memory. So, you know, developing a false memory about how you're supposed to tie your shoe or something Mm -hmm. like that, right? Right, right, right. In our autobiographical memories are so tied up with language, you know, other animals don't have the kind of language that we do. And the way that we can create false memories is through language so i don't know I we think, have a much more complex social life yeah than other, yeah right, but right. i don't know i think you just you're onto a new field of work here i think for someone <laughs> all right well i was i thought we were going to get to your book about 20 minutes ago it's but i good. was having so much fun from what i can remember i was having so much fun talking about memory mm-hmm. um that man we are almost toward the end of the episode already sometimes time flies right by let's talk about your book all right um, what, what is the name of your book? So I'm embarrassed to say I don't exactly recall it. You don't <laughs> recall? Oh, oh my Wait, goodness. So, and I'll tell you why that I know. Is, I know, it's embarrassing. That, this I mean, it's a little embarrassing. Well, I know. <laughs> I know the, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot no, straight with you. let me tell you. the story. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, maybe this is why I got into memory. Okay. And I know the first half of the title. And the reason. <laughs> you know the first half of the time, oh, how long so did you? Oh, hold on! A I don't second. think we should even talk. Wait about a second! <laughs> how long did you spend on this book? Oh, a year. Uh, a year. Yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, that's a pretty quick. Uh, 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 to write a book in a year, that's yeah. uh, that's impressive. No, but, but still, you spent a year on this thing. You remember <laughs> the first half. Of the title. But the title's not important. The meat is important. That yeah, I remember, okay. right? And I and titles suck. I'm so bad it, at them anyway. That's true. So I don't like titles it's either. called Your Brain on Childhood. 
You know, <laughs> I say this and I sometimes have to look and double check that my documentary is titled Psychonautics, a comics exploration of psychedelics. I, 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 had, I had to look a couple times just to double. I was like, is it a comics exploration yeah. of psychedelics? It is. I okay. remember it now. But OK, okay. I, maybe I was Wait. being a little hard on you. Yeah, a little rough. That is. <laughs> I See, still think it's a little ridiculous. I know. Uh, so, uh, you, what, what are we going to look it up here? Is that? Oh, is can that we our, do a memory test so next... I can tell you what I think it is, and then you can sure. tell me? <laughs> sure, <laughs> so, absolutely. So it's called Your Brain on Childhood, the unexpected side effects of classrooms, ballparks, the minivan, and a fourth thing that I can't remember. Oh, my goodness. And it's also, oh, I shouldn't say that. It was not my first choice for a title. Oh, so yeah, blame I can, the I, editor. No, I remember my preferred title so much more than this one. Yeah, what was your preferred title? An Unnatural Childhood. Oh, such a better title. See? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Um, all right. I'm going to pull the... While I'm pulling this up, tell listeners about your book that you have no idea what the title is. So the book that I have no idea what the title is. So... Um, what I was interested in doing in this book, and it has nothing at all to do with memory, um, it's taking a look at childhood from an evolutionary perspective and sort of working through what it means to look at childhood if we think about the fact that, you know, we have this long evolutionary uh, history and thinking about the sorts of contexts that we put kids in today are really a mismatch from the environments that we've been in for most of our evolutionary history. You must have enjoyed my ADHD. I totally did. Night. I was All like, right. that's right on. I, yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah, that's right on. Um, yeah, that it's it's something I think about all the time. Yeah. Probably be because I was a terrible, terrible student, but I want my I want to embellish my memory yeah, of that right experience and, and, <laughs> and make up excuses. Well, school for, is an evolutionary novelty. We weren't built built to sit in classrooms. No, so not at all. You're right and, on. Um, and especially, okay, your brain yeah. is called. Are yeah. you ready? Yeah. What is it? <laughs> Can you do a little drum roll? For <laughs> yeah. Me? What is it? <laughs> your brain is called your brain on childhood. You you knew that. That I part. knew. You knew that. Yeah. Part. Then there's a colon. Uh, the colon. Yeah. Uh, the unexpected side effects of classrooms, ballparks, family rooms, family rooms. and the minivan. That's Always it. Forget the family oh, rooms. Man. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, well, well, what, uh, see, family rooms, see, I wouldn't have expected family rooms to be, uh, to be an issue, but that's, uh, what's, what's an unexpected, uh, side effect of ballpark? So, so essentially, uh, we talk about this all the time on the podcast. We, uh, we evolved, we spent millions of years evolving in a environment much, much different yes. than this. And yes. evolution really took its time. Evolution didn't craft us perfectly for that environment either, but it had a lot of time to work in that environment. Right. And it made us pretty well suited for that pretty specific environment. Humans yeah. were evolved to be awfully flexible yeah. compared to a lot of species right. out there. Right. But, um, Evolution, not that it sees anything coming, uh, and that would be anthropomorphizing, mm-hmm. but let's go ahead and anthropomorphize anyway. Evolution did not see this coming. It did not, it, it, it has not. Our, the, the DNA with the set of instructions, um, that, that are passed on 
that we are born with, born into this world with, are uh, a manual for a completely different world than we find ourselves in now. And this is uh, this is a, an especially um, big mismatch. Well, I mean, there's a lot of mismatches out there, but I would think childhood is a huge one. I mean, are kids supposed to are, are kids supposed to be waking up at the same time as adults are waking up i mean <laughs> we have different sleep patterns and everything else and then going into to a school to uh, to be lectured to for for eight hours at a time this uh, we weren't built for this no right? all of that's ridiculous those are all evolutionary novelties and we expect kids to sit in classrooms and be quiet and fill out their worksheets and pay attention it's no wonder they don't particularly like to do that because they weren't built to do that. And an evolutionary perspective is is particularly and kind of differently relevant to development because as an adult, right, we're walking around as these fully cooked organisms and we're in environments that are completely different than, you know, what our brain expects right. um, us to find ourselves in. But if you think about development, it's not just our, our DNA is not just, you know, unfolding in a different environment than expected. It's our environment also plays a big role in, you know, everything that forms in us, in our brains, in our in our bodies. Right. So for kids, um, if you think about, you know, what is in a family room that's problematic? Well, there's there's screens in there. So you can say those are evolutionary novelties. And there's some research, for example, that shows that Young kids who watch language learning, DVDs, uh, their vocabulary growth is um, uh, doesn't happen as quickly, right? And you can say, well, that's an evolutionary mismatch. The screens aren't, you know, we didn't have those our whole lives. But the other side of the coin is there's experiences that throughout development our, our bodies and brains expect us to get. And if you're spending your whole day, you know, in a playpen looking at a screen, you're also not getting the experiences as a two or three year old that your brain expects you to get. You're not having the same level of interaction with, you know, real fleshy people. And you need that for typical development to happen too. So it's, you know, it's a two-sided thing. You're you're there's these evolutionary novel experiences like a classroom or organized sports or scripted toys, but you're also not getting things that your brain and body expect you to get throughout, you know, the early part of your lifespan that turn you into a successful adult. Yeah. I mean, you not know? to mention just the nuts and bolts of, of, uh, physically, you know, being more active, <laughs> right. burning calories more, right. get, oxygenating the brain a bit more, that, that yeah. sort of thing that yeah. our ancestors yeah, would we have were been born doing. to move. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, not, and then on, on top of that, all of the, uh, uh, mental um uh, uh, the ways in which uh, i mean even just uh, you know talking about children and their kind of false memory of things and their and their um the the way in which they maybe are sometimes confusing imagination um for reality what a odd thing in our modern world with tablets and you know and endless streaming mm-hmm. you, you know it, uh, especially the, the animation getting better and better and everything else. i mean it must just be so confusing to it tease must apart be. what's real what is, <laughs> right huh. 
Right. Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm I'm sorry that we didn't have more time to talk about your book. It's it's one of my favorite subjects. But the good news is, listeners, you can buy it. You can go and buy your brain on childhood. You want to want to take God, a whack at no, it? No, I don't do memory tests. You got to read it. <laughs> <laughs> the unexpected side effects of classrooms, ballparks, family rooms, and the minivan. All right, I got it. Oh, thank you so much, Gabby Principe. It's if go, it, listeners, if you're googling um, online, it's Gabrielle, mm-hmm. um, Gabrielle F. Principe, P R I N C I P E. So, check that out, and uh, thank you, Gabby, for doing stand up science, for taking time to of do course. my podcast. You're terrific. I love the work you're doing. Keep it up. I hope uh, I hope you figure out this memory thing one of these days. It's confusing subject matter to me. I think you have a long uh, road ahead of you. <laughs> you have a, a lot to figure oh, out. Fun I th- road. I, I think yeah. I think you yeah. have a lot of job security. Yeah, it's and, all good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in memory. Yeah. So thank you for Super. joining me. Thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. And we'll talk with you next week. Hey, did I tell you guys that was going to be a good episode or what? That's so fantastic. I often, I do wonder how much my impression of how well an episode went goes with what you guys say. Because sometimes I've had episodes that I think that are like maybe not my strongest episode. I'm even like a little bit nervous about putting them out and then I'll get all this positive feedback and then I'll put out some that I think are just like these mind-blowing episodes and I don't really hear a whole uh, not that i hear anything negative but i just i just don't hear kind of the same positive um responses that i uh would expect to uh, but I, I think that i usually am pretty in line uh with you guys and i know when things went really well i have another fantastic one next week is actually maybe i, I better not say the best but certainly one of the best stand-up science guests that I've ever had. It was in Raleigh. If you're one of the people uh, that happened to be at the Raleigh show, uh, Herman Ponser was there, and holy crap, and he is such a good guest on this podcast. It's I, I should write down <laughs> right afterwards what we talk about because I don't even fully remember all of the conversation. We talked a lot about evolution, about locomotion, about kind of standing upright, um, how the human uh, how, how humans evolved to metabolize things differently how that shaped our evolution and i mean not only is it an interesting topic but just one of these people that uh just like gabby who's uh, who you just heard it's just like an awesome presenter and just lots of fun to talk to as well so tune in next week for that get your audiobook Fix in at Libro.fm. Use offer code here we are to get three months for the price of one. And that that $14.99 goes to me, your friend, Shane Moss. Helps me out. Helps me trying to buy a van, guys. Trying to figure it out. I, I mean, van living, it's I've been dream you may have heard me talking about this on like 
I remember talking about it with Duncan Trussell years ago, uh, maybe referencing it on on this podcast. I got rid of my car years ago. I gave away my car. I thought like I was gonna like buy a van, gave away my car, and then like immediately everything fell out from under me at the time, and uh, and I had some um, financial situations happen very unexpectedly. So anyway. That's where your money is going to, and in case you think I'm just blowing it on cocaine and trampolines or something, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what people, uh, unless you think I'm like buying a mansion or something like that with this money. I'm, I'm just, I just want to be out there touring and doing my shows, and that will really help me out um, and help me make a living and be able to tour more on the road and focus more on science communication. So go to Libro.fm, offer code here we are, and you're supporting your local bookstore by doing it. You get to, there's a whole list of all, all the local bookstores that they work with in every state. You can pick one. You're supporting them every time you download a book. So check them out. Check out Psychonautics, Comics Exploration of Psychedelics. And Stand Up Science, still got to update the site. Still working on July around like the central time zone, you know, kind of Midwest area, figuring out exactly the routing and stuff, but should be really starting to add those dates. July is going to sneak up in a hurry. Um, UK dates coming soon some pretty cool conferences that it sounds like i'm doing fingers crossed i'm doing that and maybe lining up some stand-up science maybe lining up i never did a good trip in the uk at all maybe lining up a little tour with a good trip show i don't know still trying to figure all that out that might even extend it to maybe even september or something like that if uh if everything goes really well um still trying to make connections over there and figure out venues and that sort of thing so that's everything that i've had going on i'm, I'm sure i'm i'm missing a lot of things like stitcher if you go to stitcher premium by the way i don't like have to be saying this this is just information for you guys because of the arrangement that i have with stitcher any episodes older than six months are only available on Stitcher. But in addition to that, to being able to get my whole back catalog, you get all the episodes ad-free, so no interruptions in the middle of the episode when you have Stitcher Premium. And yeah, those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorites. My favorites.